Hey everybody, it's your girl, your sis, your host, Cheryl Shoemake, and this is the Stepmom Sanity Podcast. The mic is hot, so let's get started. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to this episode of the Stepmom Sanity Podcast. We have back with us today someone I consider just when he shows up, I feel like we have a statesman in the building. Um, he is a renowned and gifted therapist, best-selling author of several books geared towards helping blended families, founder of the Smart Step Family and president of Family Life Blended, none other than Ron Deal. Ron, thank you so much for being with us here again today. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's always a joy to be with you. It's a joy to have you. I tell you, it is, we are very much so honored. You know, when I was thinking about this particular topic, I could not think of anyone better with whom to have this conversation. Uh, many blended families, you've written about this a little bit, many blended families, uh, you know, when they are coming together, when the couples marry, they naturally combine their households. Mm -hmm. And usually that requires one partner and their children to move into the home of the other partner with their children, sparking this very common blended family dynamic that I haven't heard a lot of conversation about. Talk to us about territoriality in blended families. What is it and why does it crop up? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a, so many layers. I've been thinking about this and anticipating this conversation. Um, you know, our stuff is our stuff. Let's just start with that. Like mm -hmm. my space is my space. And whether you remember when you were a kid and you got your own room for the very first time. I mean, I remember when my older brother moved out of the house, went to college and my sister. So it was downstairs and my younger brother and I had to share a bedroom my whole life that I got to go downstairs into my own bedroom. Like that was the end all be all. And that's my safe place. That's my place, my stuff. And now somebody comes and invades that. And I use that word with with much care and caution but intentionality it feels like you're being invaded in some way even if you invited them in mm -hmm. you didn't ask somebody to come and just stay <laughs> you know <laughs> and so like if if it's your house whether you're a child or the parent and you've been living in this home your stuff is your stuff. You've got it where you want it. You, you've been living life. Everybody knows the rhythms and where to go get the board games and where to go mm -hmm. get the forks and the knives and everywhere. To, it's your stuff. And you have ownership of that. And that feels like your territory. And then other people come in and have suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I think we ought to move stuff over here. What do you mean? It's been over there for 10 years. And it's doing just fine right over there. And it becomes about always, it's always about what's under the surface, right? So in that case, it, it becomes about what? Power becomes about, um, well, whose stuff is this really? Uh, under what conditions am I sharing my stuff with you? Are you now part of my stuff? Um, for kids, you know, there's been so many unwanted changes in their life that they've had mm -hmm. to live through. It doesn't seem like a big deal for somebody to move the games from this cupboard to that cupboard. And yet that's another unwanted change. Mm -hmm. And little things feel really big when they're a part of a much bigger story of people who just push in on your place, your stuff, your, your, your space in the world. And you again feel slighted, small, not considered. Not, I mean, just listen as we're as I'm just sort of spitting all this out, all of a sudden, 
I imagine your listeners like I can begin to relate to. I don't like people pushing me away from my stuff. I don't like people making choices for me when I get no input into how it's going to roll or what it's going to be. Nobody likes that. And, and so it feels personal really fast, even though it might not be personal, even though there's no intention of harm or anything like that. It just feels personal. There's a backstory that affects my willingness to adapt or change or allow you to come in and move things. It all sort of rolls up layer upon layer upon layer, and we can get really territorial and push people out of our space. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for not just kind of painting a very vivid picture for us, but also encouraging us to put on an empathetic lens from the mm-hmm. beginning. I think it's helpful for us to remember that by and large, this change, these changes are happening to people that didn't ask for right. the change and cannot control it. And they feel very much so put upon. And, and so how, how, what should I be looking for if I'm a, if I'm a bonus mom or a bio mom in a family and I, and I've invited my husband and his children to live with us, or I'm moving into um, a space with mm-hmm. my husband and his children, and I'm bringing my children along. What should I be looking for? How might that manifest, you know, in my everyday life? Yeah, the simplest, most direct way to, to, to figuring out there's more to this picture than I saw is strong emotional reactions from people. I mean, this is true in work relationships, extended family, a marriage, kids. Anytime somebody, think of a scale of one to 10, you asked a question and you thought it was a two on a 10 scale, like this is not a big deal, and you got an eight reaction, that's immediately a, a, a clue mm-hmm. that there is more going on here than meets the eye, that there is a story underlining this. And I'll even use the word pain. There is a pain behind that eight. Mm-hmm. And of course, on the surface, an eight is usually ugly. It's usually disrespectful. It's usually um harmful uh, harmful what i mean is hurtful that's really mm-hmm. what i'm trying you are hurt by that eight reaction when somebody stands up looks you in the eye and says you're not my mom you know you have no right here you know don't tell me to do such and such like that feels all kinds of things it goes all over us that's mm-hmm. true and we have to sort of slow our reaction to the eight and go hold on i need to know the story behind this mm-hmm. and that's where you slow down and you try to calm down because if you calm down first, that helps the other person begin to maybe calm down. Okay, no guarantee, but at least it's one step closer to that. I, if if they're an eight and you go to a nine, nobody's calming down, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's getting worse. We call that escalation. That's right. But if you if you come back with a oh uh, wow, that tells me something's going on here. I'm wondering, would you be so kind as to help me understand why this bothers you so much? Mm-hmm. And, and you're now slowing down and chasing their pain. This is, let me tell you, Cheryl, this is, I'm 55, almost 56. I mm-hmm. wish I'd have known this when I first got married a long time ago mm-hmm. because I didn't have the wisdom or the skill set to understand how important this little maneuver is. Right. But when you slow down, when you don't react with their reaction or fight anger with anger, when you say, whoa, hold on, help me understand what's behind that. Tell me the story of this 
board game that we're now fighting over, you'll find a story. Yes, you And will. that story has meaning. That story tells this child or this person where they belong, who they belong to, why they're significant or why they're not significant. That story will give you a sense of their shame yes. uh, that's behind whatever's going on in the room right now. That story will give you a sense of the, the unwanted changes and how they felt stepped on in the past. And all of a sudden, you now can go, got it. Right. That's the thing we need to be dealing with. We can let this thing with the you know board game and whether we're putting it in this cupboard or this one, we can let that go for now. We need to try to get into this story. And I might not even be the person who can help this kid deal with that. But now I know what it is. Right. The most successful step families have been nurtured by emotionally and spiritually healthy couples. In the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro provides a roadmap for discipleship with Jesus that is transformative. Learn to become your authentic self, break the power of the past, let go of power and control, and surrender to your limits, and become the catalyst through which your family is blessed. Pick up this book wherever books are sold or click the link in the show notes. Let's return to our conversation with Ron Deal. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to go first. And it's the wise person who says, I'm going to love first. I'm going to step out in this manner so that we can get past this moment. But what do we do when, so in our situation, this was adult to adult, we had chosen to make a commitment to one another. Uh-huh. In a lot of these situations, it's children, a, a stepchild, to step siblings that are dealing with territoriality or a step parent and a stepchild. Mm-hmm. How do we then, when one person isn't as receptive or maybe doesn't have yet the emotional maturity or the or the language to tell us what's going on. What do we do in that situation? Okay, so there's a lot of little decisions to make. And so there's no black and white here. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I'm not that smart. Don't have that. <laughs> but, but but I do think here's some of the filters you're going to run this through as a, as a stepmom, for example. You're going to ask yourself, am I the person to chase this pain? Do I feel like that's a conversation this child would be open to with me? Do, do we have enough equity in the bank, so to speak, in our relationship that I could do this? And if the answer is no, then I think it's okay to, using your example a minute ago, to step away from the moment, kind of go talk to your husband, recruit him, see if he can't be the one who chases the pain, and maybe indirectly you can be involved or side by side with him together. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this might might look at that point. But the decision is, no, it can't be me who runs point on this conversation. If you do think it can be you, then by all means, by all means, be the one. I do think you can, by the way, say, I I don't appreciate you talking to me that way. Mm -hmm. And again, try not to overreact like they're overreacting. I do think you can express, do a little self-care and saying, I don't appreciate you talking to me that way. I'm going to have a conversation with your dad. We'll figure this out a little bit later. So you've stood up for yourself. That's worthy of helping your relationship with that child, helping them understand that you're not just going to be a doormat. Mm 
I, I mm-hmm. don't want any step parent to ever feel like they're a doormat. And at the same time, um, you're recognizing that you're not the person to chase their pain, to really try to get at the story underneath all of this. And there's somebody better in a different time in a different place who can do it, not you. Uh, yeah, those are hard decisions in the moment, but I think those are the kinds of filters you're running all of this through. I, I, I think one of the things I want step parents though to hear is that, you know, we spend a good amount of time and I certainly have in my work and writing with people. Um, we talk about the step parents growing into their role in terms of an authority, a disciplinarian with children. And again, you want to build some relational equity with a child before you move into that correct, excuse me, connect before you correct. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I don't want people to hear, so you're a doormat. Right. Just suck it up until two years from now when you finally have earned your keep and you can have a voice. No, I don't think so. I mean, if the neighbor kid walked into your house and started coming at you with certain, I think you would say, excuse me, I don't appreciate that. You don't talk to me that way. Right. Uh, ironically, if it was the neighbor kid, you'd be more self-controlled. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Why? Because A, this is not your child. B, they don't live here. C, you're, <laughs> you're really not going to have to deal with this much longer than this little moment. And you're going to have that calmness and yet at the same time set a boundary and say, no, I don't appreciate that. That is ir- ironic. And that's the example of what you want to do with when it is your kid, mm-hmm. your own child, your stepchild, whatever the case may be. You want to have the same sort of self-control in that moment and say, no, I'm sorry, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. But you're doing it in a calm manner, a manner that Think of it this way. It's hard for that child in that moment to disrespect you because you're being respectable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your calmness brings a power with it that helps you to be heard. It doesn't mean the child's going to change and automatically everything gets better, but at least you're showing yourself to be contained and power under control. By the way, that's the definition of meek. Yes, it is. Blessed are the meek. That's power under control. If there's anything we learn about watching Jesus... In all of those occasions where he's interacting with people who are really against him, who really have it out for him, he keeps all of that power, the power that created the universe. He mm-hmm. keeps that under control and manages himself very, very well. That is good parenting. Meekness does not mean abdicating authority, but it does make the other person feel safe to engage. We had a hard and fast rule in our home. You, you don't have to agree. Um, you don't have to engage, but we all have to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And that helped us a lot. It, it set the tone for later bonding in our family as well. I agree. And by the way, I would I would add, put it in direct contrast with love. Yes. Say to a child, you do not have to love me. Yes. You do have to respect me. Yes. If nothing else, I'm your dad's wife, and that earns something. Uh, I'm the woman of the house. Um, I care for you. I'm just asking you to respect that. That's all. You don't have to love me. When you put it in contrast, respect versus love, what you're saying is uh, you're defining what you're not saying by saying, please respect me. You're not saying to the child, you have to also love me. That could sort of be implied, 
and you want to make it clear that you're not demanding that because we all know you can't demand love from anyone. Right. Remember that boy you chased in junior high and you never <laughs> could win his, you can't demand love from anyone. Right. You can invite it. You can be the kind of person that's loving and therefore is more attractive to that person and you can hope, but that's their call. What you can do is say, I do want respect. For help in the gap between what you have and what you want as you wait for your blended family to bond, pick up a copy of my book, Waiting to be Wanted, A Stepmom's Guide to Loving Before Being Loved. This book points you to the power of God's love and his word to heal hurts and transform relationships. Learn how to wait without losing your peace, your resolve, your marriage, or your mind. Click on the link in the show notes or pick up the book wherever books are sold. Let's get back to Ron Dale as he unpacks navigating turning their house into our home. One of the things I encourage people to do is think of the boundaries in your house, the rooms, the doors, the, the, the doors to the outside, the doors on the inside upstairs, downstairs, think of all of that as one big metaphor for who belongs here mm -hmm. and where do they belong and under what conditions. Keep that in the back of your mind. Imagine um, a stepmom who walks in and within a few months is changing the decor in the house mm -hmm. without asking anybody, who is taking really important pictures that represent family, love and identity, history, and taking them down and sticking them in a the closet. Okay, what statement is she say, saying in this metaphor of relationships and belonging? What message is she sending? Mm -hmm. mm. A lot of messages she probably does not intend. And by the way, if she does intend them, she really needs to repent. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because all this is gonna come back on her hard and fast and bad. But if she realizes, whoa, wait a minute, I'm moving somebody out of the living room of your heart into the closet? No, 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 I, I shouldn't do that. Think about our bedroom for a second. We think about marriage and bedroom. What a metaphor. There is a door and my goodness, I hope you have a lock on your door so kids don't walk in so you can have sexual intimacy. So you can be naked and unafraid of prying eyes and just people wandering in. You want boundaries around that space in order to protect a very important and intimate part of your life. Likewise, children need some boundaries. They need a space that's theirs. Nobody messes with. Everybody's messed with every other room in my heart, but this room is mine. Right. I get to keep it the way I right. want it. That's important. Listen to the messaging. You're valuable and we value your space. You don't have to just totally you know, fold into everything we want for you. You get to be your own person. Kids like to have, you know, a playroom or think about, um, yeah, we sit in this chair with my dad on his lap and that's our spot. Everybody needs those things. If you think of the metaphor of belonging and love and space and history and relationships, that helps you, I think, respect the territory, mm -hmm. respect what it means to other people. And if you inadvertently, you know, make a mistake, sometimes you just didn't realize the significance of that space. And then when you do, you sort of go, okay, I got some respect for that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I kind of need my space. I need 
something over here that's mine and other people don't mess with that. And our bedroom space is cherished and there's a lock on the door and we use it. I, I think that's eye-opening for a lot of people. They yes. never really saw it like that. Yes. But when you slow down and begin to wonder out loud about that, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I can see why this kid needs this and that person needs that. And we as a couple need this. And you're working hard to meet people where they are at that mm -hmm. point. I'd love for you to react to that. What are your thoughts? Well, I absolutely love that. You know, Jonathan and I, we married with the idea that we were going to purchase in our home. We came to the to the marriage, each with a home about 61 miles or so apart. We we married with the idea that we were going to purchase in our home. It was important for us to involve the children in that process. Mm -hmm. We eventually ended up building a home. And, but we involve the kids. Which room would you like? What would you? How would you like to decorate this room? What's important for you to have here? We let the children. We we they painted their rooms. They chose the colors. They did all of that because we knew we, it was. We wanted them to have their own space. We wanted them to feel safe in the home. That they that this was their home in every sense of the word, regardless of how often they were going to be here. If they're here full time, if they're here part time. This was their home. They had a space that they could escape to, that they could be themselves in. And I absolutely uh, appreciated that Jonathan came to the marriage in the same frame of mind that I did, that our children, with all of the changes they experienced, they deserved to us to provide as much stability and safety for them as we possibly could. You know, for the listener, I don't want them to miss the insignificance of asking your kids what they want, giving them input. I, I spend so much time talking about giving kids voice whenever you can. Let them have a voice. They've had a lot of things where they had no voice in how their life has had to go. Therefore, give it back whenever you can. But if they try to take voice over, oh, I know how I want to decorate the living room. The answer is no. no. <laughs> We're still the adults. We're the yes. parents here. We get to make those calls, not you. But in this space, it, it, you can have a lot of say in your bedroom, for example, or the playroom section, whatever. Uh, yes, so very, very important. And by the way, this sparks another thought. Uh, did you want to go ahead and Say well, something there. I, I did want to ask a question, kind of a segue question. Um, that was, it was financially feasible for us to do that. Mm -hmm. But what about the couple that it is not financially feasible for them to, to do that? That's exactly where I was going. Let me, yes. let's go at this from a couple of different angles. Um, first of all, let me just say each selling your home and coming together for a family, for example, where they each have children everybody is going through a transition and you sort of metaphorically create our new family home and space. And let me just say that cuts both ways. It's good and it means loss mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Maybe that's an another, another unwanted change for your 15 year old who's been in that home in that bedroom his whole life and he loves it. And it's so many memories there and he's got a secret compartment that you don't even know anything about. And now you're saying bye-bye to that because you want a new home. It doesn't mean everybody is on board with the new home idea as much as you are. So be gentle with it. Be gentle mm -hmm. with it. Again, give voice, give them power where they can have some because you're taking away some in other ways. So be careful. What, what might be the right solution for you as the couple may not be the just fantastic solution 
from the kid's point of view. It is what it is. Um, I also think, so everything cuts two ways. Like people say, well, what's the right thing? Should, should the step parent move into the biological parent and their kids? Well, I mean, it's, it's one way to do it. It's not the most comfortable thing for the step parent. You're an outsider and now you're moving into the insider's space and you're still an outsider. That's not necessarily great for you. So there's pros and cons. Well, we sell both homes. We buy a new one. Well, there's pros and cons. Well, how about if we, look, there's pros and cons everywhere, <laughs> every way you go. It is what it is. You're going to make the best decision you can make at this point in time and then move forward. So back to your question about uh, financial options. Some people just can't do that. You can't, right? You do what you can do. You make the best of it. And over time, perhaps, perhaps you have a financial change and you're able to then buy an hour house, if you want to call it that. And, and, you know, I always say, what's going on with the mood of your family? Are you, mm -hmm. Things going pretty well, things pretty healthy. You feel like you got some momentum going great. Do that next thing. Take it a step up. Go on that great big vacation or buy that new home and kind of have a, a fresh start about us. But if things are a struggle and a strain and you're, there's difficulty, uh, more change is probably not what you need. You need, mm -hmm. you need more stability, not more change. Mm -hmm. So lots of things have to go into the decision-making process. I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer. I'm very confident you pray, 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 pray. Yes. <laughs> and make a joint decision as a couple. Unity is very important. And then take that step and do the best you can. Money issues are a frequent source of conflict in any marriage, but blended families are a monetary minefield. The Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning by Ron Deal, Greg Petties, and David Edwards is a resource to help you take control of your blended family finances. Click the link in the show notes to purchase this tool for money management before and after you blend a family or pick it up wherever books are sold. Now let's rejoin the conversation as Ron talks about other areas of territoriality. have so much of the issue of our children feeling their space was being encroached upon. However, we discovered that, that while their spaces were safe, our children did feel territorial about some other things in their lives. So what other things in a blended family can be deemed off limits to non-biological members? Um, how about my phone? You know, my dad yeah. got me this phone. And mm -hmm. so I could talk to him on a regular basis. And so I don't mess with my phone. Uh, children who are moving between homes sometimes get gifts or, you know, certain things come with life in that other home. And that can feel territorial. Mm -hmm. And you go to messing with that. It's sort of like you're saying, oh, oh I can't have for a stepmom to mess with the phone that the child got from the biological mother. You're telling me I can't talk to my mom. Like all mm -hmm. sorts of, you know. <laughs> Uh, misplaced uh, meaning can be attributed to those sorts of moments. And no, that's not where you're going, but it, that is what it means to the child. That's when you'll have a child say, look you in the eye with a mean face and go, you can't touch my phone, get away from me. And that's the eight on the 10 scale. 
mm-hmm. and you go, ooh, something just happened. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it's about. I certainly don't know the story behind it, but I need to figure out what that story is. Let's chase that pain a little bit in a very calm manner, not overreacting, because A, I need to help that child understand their own pain so that they can learn how to be a little more respectful around things like this and moments like this. But B, I need to know the story because that phone represents something. And I need to know what that is so that I have a better sense of how to respond and I can make better decisions uh, going forward. So, um, yeah, possessions would be one of those things. I want to say relationships, and I guess what I mean there is, you know, we, we, I'm sure you've spent time on this program talking so much about loyalty that kids have, and loyalty ultimately is about belonging. Like, mm-hmm. I, I so love cooking with my mom and being in the kitchen. That's sort of our thing. That's what we enjoy. And so when you invite me into the kitchen to help you with a recipe or project, I want to go, but there's something inside me that says, oh my gosh, no, that's special. That's mom's space. No, I can't give that to you, stepmom. You know, that's deep stuff in a child's heart. Yeah. And, and more than not, they don't even know that's what's going on. They just feel that. And again, I want to use the word shame. They feel a shame uh, in the idea that they would be disloyal to mom and give that space to you. And in a nanosecond, the brain, heart, mind, soul says, no, and get out of my space. I can't go there. And the harshness comes out against you. The child doesn't know this. They don't understand this. But you with wisdom can go, "Mm, I just have something. I have no idea what it is. Got to go on a little journey here to try to figure out what that is about. May take me weeks to figure out what kitchen and recipes and cooking is really all about. Mm-hmm. But the meaning that that holds for this child is so very important. And in this case, that's a territory that until they have resolved in their heart and mind, you know, I guess I can love the kitchen with mom and I can enjoy the kitchen with you and it not be mutually exclusive. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's enough space in my heart to do both of those things and not be disloyal to anyone until the child figures that out, they're probably not going to go in the kitchen and cook things with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just is what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the struggles that we experienced. And not with every child. Every child will be different, of course. Mm-hmm. But with one child in particular, there were things, ways in which she wanted to reach out. And we've since had this conversation. Mm-hmm. She wanted to reach out, but felt very much so in conflict with what she believed belonged to her mom and her mom alone. Uh, we worked it out, but that came with time and with investment and with, you know, maturity, mine and hers, um, with all of that. And then some, we have stayed focused on the primary family and what's mm-hmm. going on in the home. Talk to us about how territoriality of the extended family might impact the ability of the blended family to buy. Like why why do the lines that grandma or uncle mm-hmm. draw around Great specific question. family members matter? Great question. Again, it carries meaning for them. Um, for grandma, it's, it's about, well, this is the way we always do it, or there's a tradition here, or um, my son, especially if it's your husband's mother, you know, my son and how <laughs> I've always interacted with him his entire life. And what you just asked of us is, you know, uh, breaking that rule. 
Uh, I'll say it that way. You know, there's sort of this is the way the re this relationship works, and you're messing with that. You didn't even realize it, but you're messing with that space that belongs to my son and I. You're gonna see a reaction. You're mm -hmm. gonna have something happen that is a clue. Well, don't know what that was all about, but I gotta figure that one out because that's a space that holds big meaning for my mother-in-law. Um, I, I, I think one of the observations I would have about extended family, whether it be yours or others, especially if divorce has been a part of the journey that got you or your husband into this situation, mm -hmm. sometimes extended family is still holding on to those, but the old narrative of the old marriage. The And I don't mean that they're trying to sabotage you and this family. I just mean they've had a hard time dealing mm -hmm. with the divorce that happened or why it happened or who hurt whom and how the kids, the grandkids, nieces and nephews, the people, you know, they care about everybody in your, in this, in this household. And so they're deeply invested in the family story as it relates to them. And so they can have a hard time with the newness of new marriage, your presence, and any of the adjustments that are required as a result of you being in the house. You know, it's so hard to be patient with them. But I think if you, again, if you slow down mm -hmm. and you ask yourself, what's that about for them? What's their pain? And you can maybe softly ask and try to figure out what that is. Try to have conversation with them about it and just say, you know, I perceive I accidentally stepped on your toes about this. Something happened there. Something happened for you. And I, I'd love to know what that is. Again, your delivery method is everything. If you're coming in harsh and heavy and angry, they're not going to tell you nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you're gentle, they might. And they might just say, ah, oh, yeah, it's not you. I just, it's this. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I, I get that. I, I can appreciate that. How can I help you wrestle with that a little bit more? I, I am here and we still have to sort of do life, but I don't, I don't want to, uh, add to your pain and difficulty over this. Mm -hmm. Help me understand how I can be a help to you. You know, people appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's respectable. Again, you're earning some points here. You're earning your spot by showing self-control and being respectable to them. It makes you more, well, you're showing honor. I think that makes it easier for them to give honor. Right. Yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you, Rod, I completely agree with you, but I can hear every person I've ever talked to saying, you are asking way too much right. of me right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have much to give because I'm the outsider and I'm the one who's getting the short end of the stick day in and day out. Right. And you are. Let me just acknowledge that mm -hmm. you are. And so why do I, let me tell you a quick little story. I, um, you, you know, I lost a child. My, yes. my son, Connor, my middle son, Connor, died when he was 12. Yes. Uh, um, within a month, I was on the phone with a couple of other people I respect that work in the marriage and family field who had also lost children. And I was picking their brain. I was just trying to figure out how to survive this. Mm -hmm. And one guy said to me, Ron, you just need to know that you need to make decisions about the people that you spend time with because some people just they won't be able to handle the depth of your pain. And they will not be important to you. And I said, wait a minute. Why is it my job to help other, to figure out other people? I'm not taking care of them. They should be taking care of me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So fast forward about three months. 
and uh, there's a grief counselor passing through town that I've heard about. I've read a couple of his books, and he's doing a lecture. So I go, and I sit in the back of the room, and I'm just sitting back there with my arms crossed, and I'm you know biting my lip the whole time, and I'm just still seething on this whole notion of having to deal with my son's death. Mm-hmm. And he says the exact same thing. He says, it is your job as a grieving person to decide who you spend your time with, who you invest, who you tell your stories to. Because most of the people in your life are not going to be able to have mercy and grace and compassion for you. They just don't have it in them. They're not Mm -hmm. capable of that. They don't have that gifting. Your job is to find the people who are helpful for you. And that's where you contain your grief. That's who you talk to. That's who you. And again, I was hit right between the eyes with this notion that it is my job to manage my grief and decide who and how and under what situations I share that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I come all the way full circle to say, you may feel like you're getting the short end of the stick in your family a lot. And it's still on you to be self-controlled and to be contained and to respond uh, with, with uh, softness in the midst of somebody who's reacting, overreacting in your face. Yes. It is your job. No one else can do this. The alternative is, in my case, for me to walk through life getting mad at everybody I deal with because they're not, they don't have the gift of compassion. Right. That's just stupid. All I'm doing is making my life harder and their life harder, but my life at the end of the day, I'm the one who's suffering. Much better for me to say, no, this is my life. I've got to be the one who's in charge of how I engage my grief and the people that I invite into this little journey with me. It's Mm -hmm. my job. I'm going to do a much better job at this than anybody else. I think you are too. And the irony is, as a stepmom who's struggling to be heard and received and embraced, when you do all that stuff first, it becomes more likely that you start receiving that. I'm not going to be stupid here and give you a guarantee. I cannot do that. I'm not that smart. Nothing's 100%. But I do know that repaying evil with evil creates more evil. Mm-hmm. But I do know repaying evil with good has the ability to soften the evil person's heart. That's mm-hmm. what we're promised in Romans chapter 12. It has the ability to create a change in the nature of the relationship that you have with this other person over time. Not instantly, over time. But responding with good is the path that leads to better things, that you start receiving that. I'm not going to be stupid here and give you a guarantee. I cannot do that. I'm not that smart. Nothing's 100%. But I do know that repaying evil with evil creates more evil. Mm -hmm. But I do know repaying evil with good has the ability to soften the evil person's heart. That's Mm -hmm. what we're promised in Romans chapter 12. It has the ability to create a change in the nature of the relationship that you have with this other person over time, not instantly, over time. But responding with good is the path that leads to better things. And it releases you from the grip of offense as well. Mm. Offense mm. has a, a huge um, hold on people who who grab hold of it 
we think we're holding on to something it really keeps us shackled and, and unable to move forward in the relationship it, being the person who says i'm going to i'm going to submit to the holy the work of the holy spirit in my heart I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving. I am going to be thankful and grateful. And all of the things that, that we're told in Galatians 5 is the work of the Spirit in our lives. I'm going to yield myself to, to his work and allow that to come through me in the in, in these crazy circumstances that I'm dealing with. It brings about a level of emotional freedom that... Um, that allows that gives space for the relationship mm -hmm. to grow mm -hmm. it really yeah. does it does uh, if you're working hard to be seen um you're working on the wrong goal mm -hmm. if, if you're working hard for them to see god because of you through you again the irony is that creates a softness and makes you more attractive attractable uh, attractive that's what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. and uh, so they see god through you and that makes you more approachable uh, somebody uh, okay maybe i need to give them a, ch a shot mm -hmm. don't strive to be seen Relationship expert Gary Chapman and step family expert Ron Deal collaborate on a resource to demonstrate how the five love languages can help blended families build relationships that honor the past while looking to the future. If you need help laying a foundation for your blended family to grow together, pick up a copy of Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart. Pick it up today wherever books are sold or click on the link in the show notes. Also, if you are a pastor, leader, or individual with a heart for ministry to blended families and just don't know where to begin, join Ron Dill and the Family Life Blended team for the 2022 Summit on Step Family Ministry, October 13th through the 14th at Cornerstone Church in Chandler, Arizona. The summit is a two-day experience to help equip ministry leaders to minister to blended families with breakouts on a variety of topics. I'll be there and so will a lot of leaders in this area of ministry. For additional information or to register, click on the link in the show notes. Now let's wrap up our conversation with Ron Deal. Now, Ron, you have the benefit of ministerial training, um, therapeutic education, your licensing uh, of, of being in this space for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. For those of us who only have our own experience as a reference point, when are the territorial dynamics just beyond the scope of what's considered normal? When does a couple need to throw up their hands and say, hey, we need help over here? Kind of a good rule of thumb is if it doesn't go away quickly, if it doesn't get better, if you don't see a little bit of change, you know, some people say, um, when do I need to go see a therapist? And I would say, look, if you have a cold, you know, you have sniffles and you sneeze and you cough a little bit and maybe you have a little congestion and you feel lousy for about 10 days and then you feel better. Mm -hmm. But after 10 days, if you don't feel better, you better take a COVID test. You better start thinking about the flu 
you better think about going to see a doctor. There's something about longevity and the how entrenched this pattern is mm -hmm. that that's a good indicator of, wow, there's more here than we're, we, we're not hitting the mark and we need a little more help. Mm -hmm. We need to think outside of ourselves a little bit. I think that's just sort of a, a good little rule of thumb for people. Okay, I got a kid who's, well, well that was an eight on a 10 scale. Hello, all right, let's deal with this. And you start trying to chase that pain. You start trying to work that. You're working with your husband. He's having conversations. You guys are working together, and things are not getting any better. Like, it should be getting a little better. It's not getting any better. It feels like we're more stuck than we have more questions than we have any answers for. Yeah, okay, maybe it's time. Um, bring somebody else into that picture. Get another opinion. And I don't necessarily mean formal counseling. It just could be going to the stepmom group, could be listening to this podcast on a regular basis mm -hmm. and go, getting some perspective that helps shift something in you and moves you in a little different direction. All of that outside input, I think, can break uh, the strongholds, uh, potentially, potentially can break those strongholds and show you a little bit different strategy or pathway mm -hmm. and make a difference. And if you really feel stuck, then yeah, it's time to sit down with somebody who can be a guide to you through that process. Thank you. Now you said something very interesting. I have just a couple more questions for you. I mm -hmm. could talk to you all day. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to you too. Oh, it's great. Um, you said something earlier. You said that uh, you were advised to seek out people um, who who would help you in the process, who mm -hmm. would who could handle. So you had to be a little bit territorial about your grief. You couldn't give it to just everyone. You could only give it to those who who could handle it, who could help you. Are there ever, I would call that a healthy expression of territoriality. Mm -hmm. Are there healthy expressions of territoriality in a blended family? What does that look like? Yeah, sometimes kids, um, need to talk to somebody not in their immediate home. Mm -hmm. I, let me tell you, as a, as a family therapist, one of the advantages I've had through the years is talking to children because they don't want to tell dad what, because dad gets all reactive and he goes off on mom and that whole fight thing is an old story and the kids don't want to erupt that again. So he's not safe. And stepmom, I just don't know her that well. I don't know what she's about. And I don't know. I'm just sort of intimidated. And so that's not safe. Who do I talk to? Mm -hmm. Nobody. Well, I get to be that person who doesn't have a dog in the in the hunt. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that creates a safety for me. So I think that's a pretty good strategy is sometimes we need to get our kids to Uncle Tom or Joe or Sally Sue or Pastor Jim or whoever it is that um, can be a big brother. Grandma can be great sometimes, a mm -hmm. source of love and just deep affection and a little bit of wisdom and pointed, you know, direction when it needs to be given. And that can be a really good thing for kids. Couples in blended families, you need to have, one of the things I've learned as a grieving parent is that talking to other grieving parents is easy. <clears throat> it's really safe. We connect real fast. My wife and I actually lead a support group for grieving parents. It's an immediate connection because you don't have to explain yourself. They get it. You get it. It's a safe spot. Couples of blended families, I would recommend you have two or three other couples, maybe a small group. Maybe you just have dinner once a month with somebody else in a blended family so you can talk shop. You can just say it. 
for what it is, and they look at you and go, yeah, me too. Uh, that's exactly the road we've been on. Mm -hmm. And you just feel better all of a sudden. Like, it's just like, okay, it's not just me. I'm not crazy. You guys get our language. You understand our circumstances. Okay, this helps me somehow get back in the game and, you know, keep going. Um, those are boundaries that are important to navigate for your behalf for a child's behalf when you see the need for it. Thank you so much. Now, last question for me on this topic, what resources would you recommend for a family locked in the throes of defending territory? Well, you know, because the territory is always really about the story underneath it, mm -hmm. um, I do think uh, we have a number of resources that are really helpful for that. Uh, the Smart Step Family is the most comprehensive of all of the books that I've written, and it really tries to get at this from the child's point of view, from the former spouse's point of view, from the step-parent's point of view, from the biological parent's point of view. I think it does a really thorough job of taking you into those spaces where you maybe you can go, oh, maybe that's what this is about for them, giving you that insight that can be a game-changer. So that's the Smart Step Family. Um, so many of the other resources that we have are deeper dives. The Smart Step Mom is a deep dive into that whole experience and, and, and set of emotions and, and dilemmas. Um, but I also mentioned the book I wrote with Gary Chapman, Building Love Together in Blended Families. That book is really about bonding. And like when, if you find yourself stuck in particular trying to figure out how to navigate a space with a child and figure out how to get into their heart I think that's the book I would point people to because it does give you some very practical tools to help you move gently into those delicate spaces in their heart where they're trying to make decisions about where to put you. I mean, I really think that's so much of what's going on for kids. I don't know how many kids I've had, Cheryl, in therapy through the years say something to me like, look, Ron, uh, I like my stepmom. That's my problem. Mm -hmm. what a dilemma they're drawn to you and yet something inside them feels disloyal to their biological mother or something inside them thinks well what if she leaves everybody else seems to leave what if she does too why if i if i move toward her and then she's gone i just feel more hurt again like there's so many i'm going to say that's going to sound weird so many good reasons for a child to not draw up close to their step parent that's a delicate space for them. And so when you, with wisdom, approach that space with gentleness and, and a softness and, and, and some of the right tools, I, you know, more often than not, it helps ease that process for you and for the child. Mm -hmm. That's the wisdom we're talking about. And, and building love together in blended families, I think, is, is a good tool to help you do that. So do I. I absolutely love that book. Thank you so much for writing it. It is a book that's, I have a book caddy um, that <laughs> I kind of carry from room to room. It is a resource that's in that caddy. I go to it often because I have found that as dynamic changes in, in, in my family, I have to relearn mm -hmm. some things or how do, how do I be this in this new space? Like we're, we're grandparents now and we're loving we're loving being grandparents but i i'm grandparenting parenting i should say with um 
with my husband's former spouse. And so we, we have to make room for each other. How do I do yes. that here when right. all of us want to love and hug and hold and keep the baby, you know? So it, it's been a wonderful change in our family, but it's definitely been one that's warranted me taking a look again at some of the principles that you talked about in building love together in a blended family. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for that resource. I recommend it often. Uh. Well, I appreciate that. So what have you been up to? You know, what, what's been going on? What What's mm. going on new that you have? Well, um, of course, we have a podcast too, the Family Life Blended podcast. And uh, Women in Blended Families, you've been on the team for that. We'll have you back into those activities. Those That's a Facebook Live and a uh, YouTube Live event that we're going to do periodically and just talk heart to heart to moms and so I love that you've been a contributor to that. We're also equipping ministry leaders on a regular basis. We do that online through an online certificate, a little video program that people can do. But each fall, we put on a two-day in-person event called the Summit on Step Family Ministry. We move that around the country so different people can uh, be a part of it. Uh, we're going to be in Phoenix this coming year, 2022, October 13 and 14. Um, anybody is welcome and invited. A lot of people say, well, gosh, I'm not in ministry. I'm not a pastor. Look, most of the people who come to this event are not either. Mm -hmm. They are couples, just like you and Jonathan, mm -hmm. who are just helping a friend, who are sitting down having coffee with people or leading a small group in their home or their church. Or, you know, sometimes it's a Sunday school, something formal, but most of the time they're just people who are kind of overflowing in life uh, helping the blended families around them. Yes, we do have senior pastors and counseling ministers and children's ed and all kinds of people show up as well. It's intended to help you understand the, the heart and the dynamics of blended families and how ministering to them can, can, what shape that can take in a local church. And so it's two days in person. It's a lot of fun. Uh, people come from all over the country. And so we, we, your listeners are always welcome to join us. I definitely will recommend you you going there if you can. Thankfully, it's in October in Phoenix and not in July. There you go. Phoenix. There you go. <laughs> so for those of you who are in colder climates, you can enjoy the warmth of Phoenix. I will tell you, it's wonderful being amongst people who speak your language, who get your passion, who understand why you're doing what you're doing and, and also love the Lord. And mm -hmm. I made some awesome friends there. I have. Well, actually, you. I made a friend in you yes. at our summit a few yes. years ago, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what it, we're, we, we want to get people together. There are so many people out there that are that are doing this, that are struggling to help people in their community. Right. And we bring everybody together, and it's sort of like family, just from the moment you walk in. It really is. I love it. I'm hoping to be back in October. So for our yeah. listeners out there who we haven't yet met face-to-face, -face, come to the summit. We'll meet face-to-face. -face. We'll, yeah, come see us. It will be awesome. Ron, as you know, we do end our podcast by inviting our guests to pray for our listeners. Yeah. I'm going to invite you to do the same. For those of you who are interested in and purchasing uh, the book that Ron mentioned, Building Love Together in a Blended Family, and also the summit. We're going to have those links in the show notes so that you can just go right there. They'll also be on my on my uh, website page and Facebook page as well, because we want you, we want to 
help you get access to all the resources that you can get to help you thrive in your family. Nobody just wants to survive this. We want you to thrive. We want you to flourish. We want you to be a catalyst through which God will bless your family. Ron, would you please, if you have a few words of encouragement, please offer those and please close us out in prayer. Well, let me encourage you with this. Um, sin created a gap between God's territory and our territory. And the story of the Bible is about a God who chases our pain, who sees our shame and does not turn and run away from us because we're sinful, but comes toward us. That in spite of who we are, in spite of the condition we're in, leaves his territory and comes to ours. And ultimately in the form of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what happened. And the scripture tells us that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has set about a kingdom agenda of renewing and restoring the whole world to the point that heaven, by the way, do you know, biblically heaven is not a place. Heaven is where God is. It's where heaven It's where God and man meet. And that's always been a temple. You want to talk about territory. It's been a temple. Then it was a tabernacle. And then it was Jesus. John mm -hmm. 1 says Jesus came and tabernacled with us. And now the Holy Spirit lives inside us. It's moved into us. God is constantly moving toward us in our condition. That's our model for how to love. And to be grateful for that gift. Every day I wake up grateful that God is moving toward me. Let's just keep that in mind as we pray. Lord, um, I start this prayer with praise and adoration for what we just shared, you moving toward us. That is the story. We can't move toward you. We don't have it. We're not able. We're not wise enough. We don't, um, <laughs> we're not able to overcome our own frailty, faults, and sins. But you do. And you have, and it's an amazing thing to receive your love and your gift of grace. Would you help us in turn take that and love others the same way to go first, even when we've been slighted and shorted and uh, rejected like Jesus, would you help us to go first, to reach out to that child, to that extended family member who does not want to give you the time of day or recognize your position in the home or those moments when uh, a husband, a spouse doesn't, doesn't respect you, doesn't make you feel important. Lord, would you help us in those moments to follow your lead, to love and pursue grace first, believing and trusting that that ultimately is going to bring our space and their space together. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for being with us today. If this podcast has blessed you, don't miss another one. Take a moment to hit that subscribe button. Also, share this podcast with a stepmom needing encouragement. Join us on the journey by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stepmom Sanity. And don't forget, there's hope for stepmoms who are there, wherever you're there is, from stepmoms who've been there at stepmomsanity.com. We believe in you, sis, and we're here to bless you with what you need to flourish in your God-given role. Until next time, hugs and prayers.